0: Well, well, well! Wonderful to be with you. So tonight, you know, we're in the series Super Duper Bible uh, verses, and I was telling Frank Rigsby, I love this series because I don't have to think about <laughs> what to do Wednesday night after Wednesday night. You tell me. So I I have a list of what you have suggested, and would be absolutely um, willing to receive any ongoing suggestions. You can text or email me, and. Say, Stuart, let's talk about this passage or that one. Whatever whatever you want. If I can't handle it, I'll just be honest with you and let you know. But anyway, the last two Wednesday nights and tonight are due to Maria. Maria, can you stand up just for a second? Yeah, Maria, please, you must stand up. Maria, we're not going to go on until you stand up. I'm telling you, that's Maria. That's Maria. And, um, and Maria deserves all of the... Uh, uh, punishment I can give her because look I'm I'm standing I'm talking to someone and boom she'll just plow into me and um, I've had to go to a chiropractor as a result so anyway now Maria came up with the idea some time ago that because of the uh uh, celebration of the feasts of Israel during this month, we should look to it, and so the passage of Scripture we've been looking to is in Leviticus 23, and um, we looked at two prior Feasts of Israel. They're called the Fall Feasts of Israel. There are three of them. We looked at the prior two. The fir- well, let me ask you, do you remember what the name of the first one was? Ooh, very impressive. Rosh Hashanah, or the head of the year, also known as the Feast of Trumpets. And then 10 days later came the second one, which we discussed. Do you remember what that one was? My goodness, this is really, really great. Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement. And now tonight we'll talk about the third and final of the Fall Feast of Israel. This one is called the Feast of Tabernacles, or... Does anyone know the name in Hebrew, Rita? Rita, that's why you get the front row. (laughs) It is Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles. And it's found, so here's the super-duper Bible verse for tonight. Here in Leviticus 23, "...speak to the sons of Israel," God is telling Moses, "...saying on the 15th of this seventh month..." So, we mentioned that this seventh month is called Tishri. On the 15th of this seventh month is the Feast of Booths. So, in Hebrew, the word is uh, Sukkot. Sukkah, singular, Sukkot, plural, and it means booths or tabernacle. So, God is commemorating this 15th day, seventh month, Feast of Booths, and it lasts, so so we can see how long, in case you're wondering, it lasts for seven days, Feast of Tabernacle. So just just to review, uh, the fall Feasts of Israel, as I mentioned, there are three of them, and the first, you answered correctly, Feast of Trumpets, uh, and it takes place in this seventh month, Tishri, in this case, on the first of the month. It's begun by the blowing of a a ram's horn or a shofar. Then the second of the fall feast, you got this correct as well, Day of Atonement or or Yom Kippur is on the 10th of this month, uh, Tishri. And then the one we're going to discuss tonight, the final fall feast, is the Feast of Tabernacles on the 15th. So 10 days between these two, five days between these two. Now what's really neat, I I think you'll appreciate this, uh, is to see what the themes of each of these holidays are. So for instance, if we talk about the themes of the Fall Feast, the theme of the Feast of Trumpets is repentance. It is not celebratory like our New Year. It's a time of solemn reflection because it is thought at the blowing of the trumpet on this holiday Um, God opens books to see in which one your name is inscribed. You may be in the book of unrighteous people, the book of in-between people, or the book of righteous people. And your goal during these ten days is to uh, consider your sin and turn from it and repent so that perhaps God may see fit to inscribe your name in the book of life for this next year. So this is a very serious time uh, of repentance and reflection. The second holiday, or atonement, has as its theme redemption. So on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, Jews pour into the synagogues, and uh, they hear about the necessity of blood atonement. They seek God's atonement, a means of redemption for their sin. Uh, uh, Beginning here, they see the need for repentance. Here they start considering whether or not God will graciously provide a means of redemption. And the third and final fall feast, this one, Feast of Tabernacles, has as its theme rejoicing. These two, very solemn time of introspection. This one, a time of great unbridled rejoicing. In fact, in, uh, in Jewish um, culture, this is known as the season of our joy. It's called a simcha. Simcha means joy. So after acknowledging sin and need for repentance, After finding God's gracious means of redemption, you rejoice. So it's called the season of our joy. And it's spoken of a little more in Leviticus 23, verse 40. Now on the first day, the first day of this seven-day holiday, you shall take for yourselves the foliage of beautiful trees. So there are four botanical species. (laughs) And um, there are two items that are displayed on this occasion. One is called a lulav, and those are three types of trees, branches, bound together, and it's waved in synagogue services. It's an olive branch, a myrtle branch, and and a willow. Then the fourth species is called a lulav, it's It's uh, like a lemon or a, some kind of citrus food fruit. fruit and in synagogue observances we we raise these we point it north, south, east, and west so as to indicate that God of creation, the sovereign God of all the universe has graciously provided for us these these wonderful um, means of nourishment and food so. That's what you're supposed to do. Palm branches, boughs of leafy trees, willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice. Folks, look at this is, this is not a suggestion. It's a commandment. Can you imagine that? That God gives us a commandment to rejoice. You know, we think about uh, obeying God's commandment. Sometimes we, we disobey his commandments. Um, I had to think in preparation, I wonder if I'm disobeying this one. You see, uh, I have recognized by God's grace, as have uh, I think most of you, the need to repent. I have recognized his gracious means of redemption. And I have come into the joy of my salvation, but I'm afraid I let circumstances choke it out. You see, we're supposed to be in the season of our joy as redeemed and saved people right now. I let the news get in the way. I let politics get in the way. I let you people get in the way. (laughs) Let's face it. I mean, we do that with one another, you know. We sometimes irritate one another. We have to work hard at obeying this commandment, and it implies we could do it in spite of the world's circumstances. Otherwise, wouldn't God be unreasonable to require it of us? There are no world circumstances that ought to be sufficient to extinguish the joy which should be ours as redeemed people. Folks, no matter what is going on and no matter what may happen, God has provided for us in our wilderness wanderings as he has Israel. Uh, uh, God has established his presence in our lives and in our midst, and God has promised that he's gonna come again and take us to be with him forever. So regardless of what's going on, uh, we have reason to rejoice. And we're told to do this before uh, the Lord your God for seven days. Seven in Hebrew thinking is a number of completion and and fullness. So uh, let me get a little more specific about what this holiday is all about. Israel was enslaved in Egypt for, do you know how many years? Yeah, 400 some odd years. And then Israel was... Um, set free, uh, why? Well, she didn't deserve it to be. She cried out for God's mercy. By the way, that's, that's the cry he hears, a cry for mercy. If you, if you demand your rights, which everyone is doing today, I'm not sure that gets God's attention. What rights do we have? So when we cry for mercy, the God of all mercy truly hears. He heard Israel's cry and delivered Israel from bondage in Egypt. And then on top of it, he promised to bring them into a better place, a place of promise, the promised land. But it, was, it, 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 it sadly wasn't a direct route. If they had obeyed God and not grumbled in the wilderness, they could have made it into the land of promise in 11 days. Instead, how long did they wander in the wilderness? Forty years. You see, it's kind of an illustration. Folks, you and I as Christians, we're, we're going to our place of promise. That's, that, you can count on it. That's the word of God. But for some of us, it's really a bumpy ride. And we're going in circles because of, because of disobedience. So that's what happened to Israel. So she's in the wilderness for 40 years. At times, even worshiping idols and all the rest, but God never, ever turned his back on them. In fact, he provided for Israel for 40 years with things like manna, remember this? And they lived in Sukkot, tabernacles. And because they lived in booths, uh, and because God provided for them in their wilderness wanderings, then God says, now I want you to remember that. I want you to remember how I provided for you when you lived in booths or Sukkot in the wilderness. And so every year we are commanded as a memorial of God's gracious provision to, hey Ed, uh, Pam is right there if you're looking. Did you want to sit next to your wife? Oh, I, I, Sometimes maybe I'm making a mistake because you need a break from each other. But, but anyway, there, there she is, just here to help folks. <clears throat> we do marital counseling at the end of the class. <laughs> okay, so, so this is to commemorate God's faithfulness. And in order to do it quite literally, because sometimes, don't we need concrete reminders and symbols of things? Uh, so, so my people construct things like this. It's called a sukkah. If it's more than one, it's a sukkot. Sukkah. It just means booth or tabernacle. It's required that it have at least three walls. It does not; ha- it could be open in the front. And there's there's no real strict requirements as far as size, building materials, nothing like that. Oftentimes, what hangs from it are fruits and vegetables. You can see some here. Somebody decorated it. Again, it's a reminder of God's provision, uh, not just in the wilderness wanderings, but you know, give us this day, our daily bread. And God does, and so this is a reminder. And, and then the, uh, uh, the roof is left open, but it's covered with branches of different kinds, palm branches, anything like that. And many Jewish people take their meals here, hence the table and chairs. Others actually sleep in it for the duration of the, of the seven days. If you're an apartment dweller, and have a terrace, you can build a a sukkah on the terrace. If you're not too creative in in building things, you're not Alan over there who can construct anything, you can order prefabricated kits. I'm not kidding you. Some enterprising folks, probably from Japan. I'm thinking, I'm thinking. Uh, construct (laughs) the Sukkot and you can can get the kit and actually construct it wherever you are. So this is kind of an important um, feature during this particular time as a reminder of the fact that they would have perished in the wilderness, but for God's uh, provision. And so they rejoice over God's goodness in the past, but not only that, Uh, they also rejoice over what God is doing for them in the present. And so as a result, Sukkot corresponds with the gathering of crops from the field in the fall. It's a harvest festival. The work is done uh, of sowing and planting. The harvest is over. The crops have been gathered together into storehouses, and now it's time for great rejoicing. So Sukkot is also known as the feast of ingathering. It's a time where we celebrate the ingathering of the crops. So it's a celebration of what God did in the past. It's a celebration of God's uh, provision in the present. And then it has some future ramifications as well. Folks, there will be a grand ingathering one day, not of fruits and vegetables, but of God's people from the north, south, east, and west corners of of the globe. And there will be a regathering of believing Jews to Jerusalem during a period known as the millennium, the 1,000-year earthly reign of Christ. Sukkot is kind of a foreshadowing of that. But not only is this about the Jews, I'm really pleased to tell you, you have a very key role in this as well. Uh, According to Zechariah uh, chapter 14, verse 16, Then, it's future, then it will come about that any who are left of all the nations, what does that mean? It means the great tribulation has taken place. You know, battle of Armageddon, nations of the world assemble against Israel. God intervenes and many perish during the great tribulation. So after the great tribulation comes the second coming of Christ. That's how the tribulation on earth ends. Humankind would be destroyed, but for God's intervention. So Jesus returns the second time, not like the first. Second time, he comes as victorious warrior. Revelation tells us, mounted on a white horse, not humble on a donkey at this point. You see, he comes not as the sacrificial lamb, uh, of God. He comes as the Lion of Judah. So then it'll come about that any who are left of all the nations that went against Jerusalem will go up. Whenever you speak about going to Jerusalem, the direction is always up. You always see it in the scripture. Why? Well, topographically, it's elevated, but I think it means spiritually. (laughs) When you go to Jerusalem, you're always ascending to that place that God has designated as his special residence. So it'll come about, they'll they'll go up from year to year to worship the king, that's Jesus, the Lord of hosts, and to celebrate the Feast of Booths. Uh, The nations, another word for nations, are Gentiles. So this is a wonderful grand announcement of the fact that at least one of the Feasts of Israel will be celebrated by all believers, Jewish and Gentile, will gather together in Jerusalem during the millennial reign of Christ each year to uh, feast on his provision in the past, on his faithfulness in the present, and on the joy of knowing of the certainty of what our future holds as well. So that's Zechariah 14, verse 16. Now I want to tell you about an important ingredient in this holiday that uh, I think most people don't know about. I'm not uh, trying to be a wise guy here, but as I read about Sukkot, or surely as I grew up, and then of course in many most churches, um, this that I'm about to tell you is, is not mentioned. And it's, it's a shame that it's not, you'll, you'll see. I bet you'll be blessed by this. Um, in Jesus' day, this holiday was celebrated. In Jesus' day, Sukkot. It marks the beginning of the rainy season in Israel. They have two seasons, non-rain and rain. So th- this marks the be- beginning of the rainy season, and rain is very, very important for agriculture. You you can understand this. And in the Middle East, it's vital. No water, people can't, can't survive. So at the beginning of the rainy season, a very important feature in Sukkot is to offer very heartfelt prayers to God for an ample supply of rain during the rainy season. And so every single morning during this seven day holiday of tabernacles, water is poured out in the temple precincts um, as a kind of an offering and visual prayer. Oh God, this we pour out this precious water, making our appeal to you to provide uh, for us an ample supply of it so that our crops would flourish, so that we would have an adequate harvest so that we could survive and so what happens is the high priest uh, leads a processional it's like a parade people are uh, blowing trumpets and uh, banging tambourines uh, and they're singing and rejoicing and he leads them down to the pool of siloam so they've been at at the temple precincts to go to the Pool of Siloam. You go down, it's in walking distance. You can visit and see part of the Pool of Siloam in Israel today. The the totality of it has not been uncovered, but some of it has. You know why it hasn't all been excavated? The property is owned by the Greek Orthodox Church, and they refuse to let the Israel Antiquities Department dig up the ground. Yep. Why doesn't Israel just take it? Because Israel's a democracy, and it has freedom of religion, and Greek Orthodox Church owns that parcel of land. So you can go there and see part of it, and just imagine the rest of the pool of Siloam. So the priest goes there, and he has a gold vessel, you can see it depicted here, and he dips it into the uh, water uh, of the Pool of Siloam, and then the processional proceeds back up to the temple with this water in this golden vessel and he enters through the southern gate uh, of the temple precincts, which is was known as the water gate because of this procedure, the water uh, gate. And as he enters, there are three blasts of the trumpets. You know, I showed you a shofar that that curved ram's horn, but this is a different trumpet. These are silver uh, uh, trumpets. It's not the ram's horn at all. So there are three blasts of the uh, silver trumpets as the priest and the processional come into the temple precincts. And then the priest recites this passage from Isaiah. Therefore, with joy, simcha, therefore, with joy, you will draw water, from the wells of salvation you see that's what he recites and then he ascends a ramp uh, that uh, leads up to the great stone altar in the inner court of the temple he raises the golden pitcher and he pours out the water offering in a silver basin then there are three blasts of the silver trumpets once again followed by the pouring And then music begins. And the people begin to listen to a choir of Levites. Um, It was the praise team is what they had. And they sing. Everybody sings together something called the Hallel. Uh, Hallel means praise. You, You know the word hallelujah? Hallel, praise, luya, to Yahweh. Hallelujah. That's what it, now you know a Hebrew word. Hallelujah. So we have uh, in the Psalms a section called the Hallel Psalms. Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. They are sung on this particular occasion. That was Israel's ancient, no, that was their hymn book. That was their hymnal years, (laughs) years ago. So we're on good grounds, brethren, singing the hymns. Anyway, they would sing Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. Now, on the seventh and final day of the feast, things changed. Things reached quite a a climax because rain for the coming year was on absolutely everybody's mind. And so on the prior six days, the silver trumpets, as I mentioned, gave three blasts. But on this day, the seventh and final day, the trumpets gave three blasts sets of 7 blasts and on the other 6 days the priests made a circuit around the altar one time but on this day he went around the altar in a processional 7 times and he sang and as he's doing it the people are waving palm branches and they're and they're praying and they're beseeching a gracious god to be gracious again and send sufficient rain now I tell you all this, because during this celebration, on this last day, somewhere around 2,000 years ago, someone's voice rang out and it said this, on this very occasion, if any man is thirsty, remember the preciousness of water is the theme, this one, well you know who it is, it's Jesus. On this particular occasion, why? Well Jesus in human form was was Jewish and so he observed the holidays he knew about um, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and, and Sukkot and and so on this day when everyone is focused on the necessity of ample rain, he he being the master teacher. He connects with that aspiration and he says, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. There's nothing to do with the atmospheric conditions or climate. Come to me. If you're really thirsty, of course, he's not talking, is he, about literal thirst, is he? He's using their uh, interest in being satiated physically to tell them, But are you satiated spiritually? Do you you thirst for something uh, uh, that goes beyond H2O? Uh, Are you looking for something non-material? It's not food and drink, as important as they are. If you're looking for something that fills the hole, the void in your life, if you're looking for peace, for reconciliation with God, come to me. It's a relationship, isn't it? And drink. He who believes in me, isn't that always the gospel? He who believes, it's never any different. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, and he quotes scripture, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Can you relate to this? If you have asked Jesus to come into your life, he sent his spirit. The Holy Spirit. In in Hebrew, we refer to the Holy Spirit as the Ruach HaKodesh. Ruach means wind or spirit. Ha means the, Kodesh means holy. Why is the God's Spirit distinguished as being holy? Because there are evil spirits out there. We don't want those. But if you accepted Jesus, he sends the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh have you experienced this from the Holy Spirit uh, in your innermost being, rivers of living water? It it, it goes beyond material realities. It's the capacity to experience things like love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, self-control. That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our life. For me, but I know not just me. I've never experienced those things in the, uh, to the measure it, it, that I came to experience those things when I turned to Jesus, just like he invites here, and asked him, not in these beautiful words, in my own clumsy words, would he come into my life and change me and fill the hole and the void, put me on a different path? Forgive my sins which have obstructed my access to him. Don't you think this is very timely of the Lord on this occasion to say? Uh, So he offers this glorious invitation uh, on the seventh day of uh, Sukkot. He's essentially saying, I'm the answer to your prayers. I can save you now so that you'll never thirst for salvation again. That's what he says. The Lord Jesus knows something. We, we know, too. It's difficult to live in our temporary Sukkot, our bodies. It's difficult. We're grateful to God for these vessels. They carry us from point A to point B. They see us through life. But they're in a constant process of deterioration, are they not? And decay. It's just the way it is. And... uh I guess as you get older, you really <laughs> recognize that. My mother used to say, I think the Lord made us with too many parts. Yeah, she would keep discovering a pain in this part, a pain in that part, you know, things she didn't even know she had. That's, that's the way it is. These are wonderful things, but even apart from the physical deterioration, which we all experience, being in these temporary booths um, in this space-time dimension is tough, really tough. I hate to be so discouraging but I think it's going to get tougher. I, I I'm not a pessimist. I just I just I just think the intensity of the uh, rebellion against the creator is really 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 picking up. Uh, and now it's not just sin, it's sin in God's face. It's just blatant you know like it says not only committing sin but giving hearty approval to those who do so you people you see people in all kinds of relationships that are not meant to be and others saying i'm so glad you're being who you are you, you know giving hearty approval nobody if you really loved people you would not want to encourage them in a lifestyle that is going to cause them to to be judged you, you you don't want that to happen to anybody so um, it, it's tough to be in this temporary place, in these, in these temporary booths. The, the Lord Jesus knows this. How do I know he knows this? Because of this passage. The word, that's Jesus, right? The word became flesh, which implies he wasn't always. He always was, but he wasn't always flesh. Before he was flesh, he was. He's pre existent because he's God. He has no beginning nor end. So he became enfleshed at a certain time. The word, words are meant for communication. Uh, The Lord Jesus is the ultimate communication from Almighty God. We would be left with sheer speculation of what, what God is like. And so he said, Speculate no more. I will send my enfleshed son. You see him, you see me. So uh, the word became flesh, and what did he do? He dwelt among us. For how many years? 30, Thirty-three years he dwelt among us. Now I point this out because of this word. That's the word tabernacled. I could translate. If it was Hebrew, the word became flesh and became a sukkah among us. Here is pre-existent deity, he has no, he's the alpha and omega, he has no beginning or end. He so shared in the human experience that he made his body subject to the throes of life too. He thirsted, he suffered fatigue, he suffered pain, especially when people put a crown of thorns on his head and whipped him and pierced him through. It was a real body and he had real bodily experiences but but it was temporary he 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 wasn't here for until the 33 years and then when he was crucified and then buried and then um resurrected and then uh, ascended (laughs) well uh uh, then he he returned to his um eternal uh, status but while here he identified with the human condition because he became a sukkah in our midst that's why this Jesus is so special because there's nothing you or I experience though it may be something nobody else could really understand still there's nothing you or I experience that he doesn't understand why because he dwelt he tabernacled uh, amongst us according to John 1 uh, 14. I want to show you something about the sukkah So here's a view of it looking up through the roof. So it's not rainproof (laughs) on purpose. Why? It is required that the ceiling not be solid. Why? While you're in this temporary sukkah, while you're in this temporary body, while you are temporarily here, don't lose sight of God. While you sit in the sukkah, while you're taking your meals or while you're eating, look up. Look to the stars. Remember Almighty God who saw you through wilderness wanderings, who brought you to a place of promise, who provided for you each step of the way, who can understand everything you're going through and who's going to come back for you one day. Look up, look up. Do you do this from time to time? Sometimes when I find myself burdened Sometimes you you don't know what, but it maybe is a lot of things. I would encourage you, I do this myself, I'm not preaching to you, I'm just saying that this is a good thing. I, I go outside, either on a walk or just outside, just look up, just look up. And remember the awesomeness of your Abba Father, who simply spoke all that into existence in the power of his word. And that incomprehensible, transcendent God knows your name. Look, it doesn't make the uh, challenges of life go away, but it makes them more manageable. (laughs) Look up. Remember. Remember Jesus. And uh, John saw a a reality, the Apostle John, a future reality um, that gave him great great joy. It had to do with the presence of the Lord forever. And I'll, I'll close just with these two verses in Revelation. I heard, so that's the apostle John, a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, look at that, the sukkah, tabernacle of God. That's what the word means. The tabernacle of God. What about him? He's among men. How many times does it say among count he is among men and he will dwell here's the second time among them and they shall be his people and god himself will be look at this a trinity of amongs we don't have a distant God. He is the great beyond, but he's also Emmanuel. He came near. He was a sukkah amongst us. He understands what we're going through. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. And John's vision is that we will be in the literal presence one day forevermore with the grand sukkah of God, the Lord Jesus, who will establish his dwelling in our midst. And this final verse then we'll conclude, he'll wipe away every tear. You know, I, I think about this. It doesn't say he'll have his angels do it, which would be really wonderful enough. He, you know, this is a crazy image, but I, forgive me for, I, I just think of God putting his hand in his pocket and extracting a grand divine handkerchief and, and going like this going like this and saying, don't cry. No need to cry anymore. I talked to a lady today whose husband passed um, two days ago. She knows exactly where he is, and that's really wonderful. But still, your life partner, she's not weeping for him. She's weeping. She's grieving. Isn't that normal and natural? Not not as one without hope, but she's a normal person. And uh, I think about people like that. Oh, my goodness. Will will Jesus just, he's going to personally wipe away every tear from their uh, eyes. Personally, because he will tabernacle amongst us, not for 33 years, throughout eternity. And, And there will no longer be any death. What does that mean? I was talking to uh, some of our pastoral care staff today. Um, This week, we have 15 funerals, 15, 15 funerals. Death is a reality, pretty harsh, close to home for many of you, I know. It really hurts a loved one has gone, a child has preceded you. But there will be a day when, in the presence of the one who will establish himself among us, he'll so wipe away every tear from our eyes, there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. Folks, we don't know what that means. Uh, A prescription pain medication is a billion dollars Millions of dollars in the industry, you know, for this, for that. Can you imagine a reality in which there's no pain? I I cannot. I I cannot. But that's what what our reality will be. No longer any mourning or crying or pain. Why? The first things. That means all of the things preceding these things will have passed away. Everything that's part and parcel of your temporariness here, everything that is... um, that corresponds with you being in your sukkah here will pass away. Think about it, everything. Aging, illness, pain, relationship issues, financial issues, unreasonable employees, loud neighbors, whatever it is, uh, obnoxious ministers, but I mean, just think, whatever is part of this, this reality um, it will not be that reality, and that's why there won't be any crying or pain. All these first things will have passed away. So Sukkah um, reminds us of God's provision in the past, his faithfulness in the present, he dwells with us, and, oh my goodness, the best is yet to come. Look, whatever is your experience or mine, and nobody should minimize your grief or pain. I don't, I don't mean that. I, I, I just want to say, we're gonna pass through it. it, 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 it is not, it's not the ultimate reality. The ultimate reality is, well, it's this. It's coat, The season of our joy. Hang in there. But even if you can't, don't worry. You're being hung onto. <laughs> At your weakest, oh God, I'm losing my grip. Of course. Of course. But he says, I've enveloped you in my love, and the Father has enveloped us in his love. You can't, my grasp is strong, my Father's grasp is strong, though yours may be weak. Just wait, wait for the ultimate eternal season of our joy. I told you last week, we we shouldn't wish Jewish people a happy Yom Kippur, happy Day of Atonement. Nothing happy about it you're in trouble with Almighty God, but you can say happy Sukkot. And we could say it especially to one another. Happy Sukkot, my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, the one who temporarily dwelt among us is gonna bring us into his literal presence. Three times the trinity of Amongs, it says, he will be in our midst, he will be in our midst. The first things will have passed away. So we thank you, Lord Jesus, for these feasts of Israel they uh, point us to truths about you that persist in every generation and amongst all people who call upon your name, for you're no respecter of persons. Thank you for showing us all these things so clearly through Israel and its holidays and all the rest, but thank you so much that it is not restricted to Israel by no means. Uh, it's These things apply to all those who have been adopted into your family by your grace and mercy. I pray there be not one person here who has refused your invitation to come to you so as to be satisfied in the inner person of the heart with a salvation experience that will leave us without thirst for reconciliation with you ever again. For when once, Lord Jesus, you suffered, died, was crucified, buried, and resurrected for our sins. You said, it's finished, it is done, come to me. All who are thirsty, if I can use that word, heavy laden, I'll satisfy your thirst and I'll give you rest. Thank you, O God, for Sukkot, which is simply, simply a symbol of our ultimate season of joy. We look forward to celebrating with you, O God, throughout eternity when either we go to you or you come to us, whichever comes first. In any rate, great things to look forward to. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.